you are listening to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast with Chris and Garrett. Hello, and welcome to the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. I'm Chris, and in this episode, Garrett and I watch a movie that is not only a personal favorite, but it's directed by one of our favorite directors. From 1986, directed by the amazing John Hughes and starring Matthew Broderick, it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off, celebrating its 35th anniversary on June 11th. Everything about this movie is fast-paced. The comedy, the timing, the plot, and its creation. It's reported that Hughes wrote the script for Ferris Bueller's Day Off in less than a week. The first cut of the film was nearly three hours, but by the time Hughes and editor Paul Hirsch were done, they had a fun and breezy story that clocks in at about 103 minutes. I know how the movie begins. I know how it ends, said Hughes. I don't ever know the rest, but that doesn't seem to matter. It's not the events that are important. It's the characters going through the event. Therefore, I make them as full and real as I can. This time around, I wanted to create a character who could handle everyone and everything. And Ferris Bueller certainly does that. Join us as we celebrate the 35th anniversary of this teen comedy classic, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So um, we were sitting around talking and, uh, you know, he said, you know, you know, there was four kids instead of two. Right. And we we're like, what? And as soon as he said it, because somebody said, well, are you, you're confusing it with uh, three men and a baby. They're like that. There was a ghost in the movie. He's like, no, I don't mean ghosts. I mean, there were two there were two child actors cast to play. And I said, I know exactly what you're talking about, because I had read the novelization of Ferris Bueller's Day Off around the time it came out. And, uh, and I remember reading it going, there's a brother and sister in here. Like, and, and really they didn't add anything to the story. I mean, they were like in maybe two scenes, one where, you know, in the morning where Ferris wakes up and he's sick and, or he's pretending to be sick and like the kids are chiming in. And then there was like another scene later on. And it, it clearly was like, when I remember reading it thinking, well, this is cause I'd already seen the movie and I'm like, well, there are no kids, other kids. It's just Ferris and Jeannie. Um, but I kind of, even then, I remembered reading something about how sometimes these novelizations weren't based on the finished movie. They were based on a screenplay or they were based on a rough yeah. edit, um, like a director's cut. And I found a story today online. I'll find the link and send it to you. Um, the guy who wrote the novelization, his name's Todd Strasser, and he has a blog or he has a an account on medium. And so he wrote his account of doing that novelization. And it's kind of funny because uh, just talking about the business of like, when you're a struggling writer, like he had written other books, but he was kind of in between and he just needed quick cash. And he said back then, you know, authors can make quick cash doing these novelizations. He had two weeks to write that novelization. And he knew nothing like the movie had not come out because usually the novelizations had to be written and, and edited and proofed and public, you know, printed before the movie even came out. 
And so he's like, well, I mean, do you have something I can work with? So the next day they, they met, they sent him, they overnighted him a copy of the script. And it was like the John Hughes, like director for director's cut of the script where like oh, everything was in there. Yes. And, and so he was going through it and he's, you know, like trying to adapt it into a novelization. And he talks about in the post, all the problems he was running into, but he wound up like he, he worked on it, cranked it out in two weeks, sent it off. Didn't hear anything for a while. Cause it was supposed to, like when he was contacted about it, the movie was still five months away. I think it said from hitting the screens. So he did the two weeks, cranked it out, sent it off and thought, okay, well, that's the end of that. You know, I'll just, I'll get my check and that'll be it. Well, apparently some folks at Paramount like contacted his agent and said, we need to talk to Todd. And so they got him on a conference call and they were basically like the, the brother and sister are out of the movie. We cut them. They've been cut out. And he's like, um, okay, that, that shouldn't be too hard. But one of the things in the novelization is he did not write he didn't novelize the scene where Ferris is on the float, like the parade, because apparently he was having a hard time making it work for some reason. But anyway, the article, I'll find it and send you the link. It's a really interesting account of like him dealing with the producers. He didn't deal directly with uh, Hughes. Um, as far as I skimmed it, I don't think he had any interactions with Hughes, but um, he does say that he gets contacted quite a, quite a bit about the novelization. Um, I kind of wish I had held on to it. Um, I, I don't have it, but uh, yeah, you wish uh, somebody's posting this up for like two hundred bucks for that thing. Yeah, I got it at a used bookstore, um, the one that was over at North Duke Mall, and I'll never forget. I read it because um, I had it was you know obviously while I was in high school I was sick, um, and you know I was like. I did. I just, I was really, I was in bed. I just, I couldn't get out of bed. I was like really sick. I think I had the flu. Um, and so, but I could read. And so I remember I read that novelization in like an afternoon, less than an afternoon. Cause it's really short uh, novelization, but it was fun. I remember I enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, so that um, the, the missing kids um, I, in you know, the more research I did this morning about the post, the more things I found, but my first, like, aside from that story of when I was talking with the, the buddies that I worked with on the film, um, a few months ago, I say a few months ago, sometime last year, um, that actor, Josh Gad, do you know who he is? Yes, does all the stuff, the whatever. Yeah. Reuniting, whatever. Reunited apart, yeah. Yeah, that's it, yeah. So he did a Ferris Bueller episode where he reunited, I think, all of the cast except for one or two people. And Cindy Pickett, who pay, who plays the mom, she's the that quote I had in the post comes from that that uh, YouTube interview that Josh did with them, the reunion he did with them, and she's like, "Yeah, the drawings on the refrigerator." And it's like so funny because I, re- I mean, in all the times I've watched that movie, like when I saw it in the theaters, I noticed that those drawings on the refrigerator, and you know, didn't think anything. I was like, "Oh, yeah, there's drawings on a refrigerator." But then the more I thought about it after reading the novelization, I was like. Yeah, they wouldn't have kept Jeannie and Ferris's drawings from, you know, elementary school still on the fridge, I, I wouldn't think. <laughs> so right. it, it is definitely, you know, it's 
I think it's a lot like what we've talked about in the past with uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Like he cut, Hughes cut stuff out of the movie and it works. The cut version works, but there's these little things here and there where you're like, if you really start to look at it, you're like, what? Like, why is, like, why does John Candy have a black eye? Why is this here? Why is that there? You know, what happened, you know, with this? And it's like, when you take it into perspective that, oh, it's because it was edited. It's like, oh, so yeah. Um, but that night we were talking about it on the film shoot. Like I, w- the theory that I had was by far the most tame. It's kind of funny. I was thinking about it. Like, <laughs> you know, we've got quite a few episodes that we have banked that we recorded last year that have yet to go out. And part of that was we went on a huge John Hughes tear where we just went through it. And I know we didn't watch all of them, but in my COVID-19 quarantine addled mind, I thought we had watched Ferris Bueller's day off and then realized as I was going through the audio recordings, I couldn't find it. And I kept, I was panicked because I was like, we watched that movie. I know we recorded, it. I can't find it. And then it dawned on me that, well, I watched it, but I didn't watch it with you. I watched it with, with my oldest son. And of course I didn't record that. So, uh, <laughs> um, so, so I've, I've, I've watched this movie a couple of times in the past year. Um, I watched it once with him and uh, I also watched it uh, because I believe it was on television at one point. Um, I don't know if there was, I don't think there was any kind of John Hughes anniversary, but it seemed like AMC or one of the, the um, cable channels was showing Hughes's films. They were doing, you know, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, um, Ferris Bueller, Pretty in Pink. So anyway, all that to say, uh, when Ferris Bueller came along, I'm like, you know, he definitely was like my, my cinematic hero, <laughs> cinematic role model, because, and, and one thing that uh, really has stayed with me since that movie came out is I used to watch Siskel and Ebert, you know, Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel mm-hmm. and had their oh, yeah. um, at the movies. I used to watch them some. Mm-hmm. They used to have, it started out, it was on PBS, a show called Sneak Previews, and then they went and did Siskel and Ebert at the movies or whatever well that's they, the one i saw at the movies yeah. they they reviewed ferris bueller's day off when it came out and i remember gene siskel uh saying something that just it was very it was a true statement and and i think it touched on why i love this movie so much as a teenager is that he said okay you've got these teenagers and they're skipping school and you think about it most kids when they skip school what are they doing they're drinking they're doing out. Al- they're doing alcohol. They're they're you know they're drinking alcohol. They're doing drugs. They're doing they're having sex. That doesn't happen in this movie. Like these kids, what do they do when they skip school? They go to an art museum. They go to a baseball game. They go you know like they they go to a really nice restaurant. They go to a really nice restaurant. Like they are they are having like a day off. You know, it's not like they're like just indulging in you know like as teenagers work debauchery yeah exactly he, yeah. he just said you know mo- most teen comedies that would have had this premise you know there would have been alcohol drugs and tna and he, and he said i really commend hughes for not going that way with this and it really was and he said i enjoyed it because of that because it was fresh and it was different and and it was fun it's like i totally understood why he would want to skip school and if and, you think about the 80s i mean like that yeah. would have not have been surprising if he would have went that way because Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. you know, I mean, 
because because movies like Porky's and oh yeah stuff. I mean, there's a ton of there's a ton more. I'm not trying to explain. I mean, but there's a ton more stuff. I mean, even Police Academy, whatever. It's a lot of stuff that was like was trying to go. You know, we talked about you know Police Academy the other week. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it wasn't for the director, that movie would have went have went totally off off rails and went to in that way. I mean, yeah. and even you know, even Hughes had a tendency to. He was a product of the times, and he had a tendency to do some of that oh, from yeah. his National Lampoon days. I mean, it's like I mean, sixteen candles got a nude scene. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like you don't you don't think about that sometimes, but but it's so true. yes, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, and so um, I just this movie definitely has a special place in my heart, though, and and I, I know it does with most yeah most fans, most kids from the eighties. Um, uh, it's a classic. I mean, that's it, all there is to it. Really is. It really is a classic, and I, I don't think. You know, Matthew, Matthew Broderick is a terrific actor, but I don't, I mean, he's done other great films, but he just hits a level here that I don't think he's managed to top. And that's not a, an indictment of his career. I just think like the magic was in effect. Like he was terrific. Alan Ruck, who plays Cameron, he's terrific. Like there's such good chemistry in this movie. And Mia Sarah, um, to me, she she wasn't how do i describe this well i'll just say the positive the positive is she is i think a great leading lady in this movie like she's she just is like a great compliment in that she's beautiful but she has this quality about her that she's not above having fun like ferris and and kind of cameron cameron's the stick in the mud but but she just kind of takes everything in stride. And so she's, she's really cool. And, and I think when I look at the other John Hughes films with their female leads, I don't, I can't think of anybody who is quite the level of cool that Mia Sarah is in this movie. Now, don't get me wrong. Molly Ringwald, lover, Ali Sheedy, fantastic. Um, You know, the, uh, Leah Thompson and um, Mary Stuart Masterson, like there, he has great female actresses in his movies. But Mia Sarah just had a quality that I just think she was she was different, but she was a very she was a cool different. And so I just think it's just another testament to, testimony to um, this movie. Just it worked. It worked on so many levels. The cast is great. The script is funny. Um, it has some really serious moments, um, because especially with Cameron, I mean, and what he goes through over the course of this movie. Um, so, oh yeah, yeah, I think his, I mean, his work. I mean, I think his acting there is it's 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 good enough to get him. I mean, it should have got him nominated for something. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. I, mean, I really think his. And, and and even when I see him now, it's I don't think he's typecast. It's just like, but it shows me how good of an actor he is because I always think of him back to Ferris Bueller. But I'm going, this is, he he's not playing he's not playing Cameron. I mean that's that's my point. I mean he's different. And I mean I go, oh yeah, he, that's the dude from that. But it's like mm-hmm. he doesn't. He, I mean he looks like him, but he's playing a different role. And I'm going, okay, yeah. I mean. It just shows you how good of an actor he was. I mean, or he is. He's, he's still a good actor. 
Yeah. The, the other thing, and I know we need to jump into this. We've been talking for a while and we haven't even started the movie, but um, the other thing that I noticed last year, again, it's kind of close to the whole adult perspective. It's not quite the same thing though, is that I kind of came away from watching it last year thinking, you know, Ferris is kind of manipulative. Like, like it, on the one hand, you could say, well, he just wants to have fun with his best friend and his girlfriend. You know, and especially, and I, and I say the manipulative part is really more with regards to Cameron, but there are a couple of scenes where like, and we'll get to it, the scene where he talks Cameron into talking to principal Rooney over the phone, pretending that he's Sloan's dad. And, you know, he doesn't want to do it. And like the whole scene, just, there was a moment where I felt like, you know, Ferris, why don't you take the phone and do it? <laughs> like you be the one to do it. But I know that that part of the movie is Ferris is trying to push Cameron to get out of his shell and everything. But I'll That's be I just I mention it because I would love for you to, as you're watching it, just think about it. And and I'm look if you get to the end of it, you're like, no, I didn't see that. I'm like, okay, then you know, it's just something that I think struck me at the moment. And it might be the company that I had at the time, you know, when I've got my 13 year old son or 14 year old son at the time, um, kind of watching it and, and, you know, some of the things that he was saying during, I'm like, yeah, cause his take on, it, he loved it. So, I mean, I, that's, that's another nice thing is that. When our children liked the movies, some of the yeah, movies that like we he, liked. Yeah. He really enjoyed it. And I think he enjoyed it not just because, Oh, it's an '80s movie, and most of my kids love '80s stuff. And not that I've really tried to force it on them; they just have kind of sought it out themselves and enjoyed it. And it's also because it was a great decade for movies and, and television and music. But um, he really, like, he he laughed, like sincerely laughed at the funny scenes. Like, I didn't set anything up. I didn't tell him anything about the movie. I didn't try to, you know, do commentary. We just watched it. And he la- he laughed in all the right places. And then afterwards, and this is high praise coming from him. He he said that was really good. And so that's to me that just speaks to this is a timeless classic. I think it doesn't matter what decade it is. There's a lot of universe universality in the movie where you know teenagers, adults, and just the the relationship between the two and. Um, you know, it's, uh, so yeah. So let me, uh, let me see, let me get my movie set up here. I had it set up. So I got mine at zero, zero. Mine's at zero, zero. I got one. I couldn't get it to zero, 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 but, um, let let me do this then. Let me just tap it and do one and then I'll pause it. Um, okay. Awesome. Let me get my earbuds in here. Um, so tonight, and by the way, um, hello to our new listeners. Um, this week, we've seen a little bit of growth uh, on our Instagram account. So um, hopefully we'll have some of those folks listening to the episode this week. Uh, so we are about to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off from 1986, uh, directed by the amazing John Hughes and starring Matthew Broderick. Um, we are coming quickly coming upon the 35th anniversary of this movie. And so this is a movie that and I know we have talked about for a while, Garrett, and we wanted to to watch. We're really trying to capture commentaries for a lot of these movies that are 
having these anniversaries uh, this year. And I'm trying to acknowledge the 35th anniversary, but also not because when I think about it, it makes me think, man, I'm really old. (laughs) So, but um, so we're going to be watching this. So for those of you new to the podcast, so the way that we're going to do this is we're going to be watching the movie. Uh, You won't hear it, but we'll be watching it. And I'm going to count us down from three. We'll do this three, two, one play thing. So for those new to the podcast, grab your copy of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And as I usually say, your legally purchased or legally acquired copy of the movie. We don't want to support piracy of any kind, but uh, um, grab your copy of it. Um, sync it up to zero, 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 or as close as you can. And um, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So I will count us down. Three, two, one, play. Paramount. Such no popped up. Black Gulf Western, Western Company. Yeah, I think mine might be a few seconds behind you. Paramount Prince yeah. It's John Hughes film. Yep. What are yours? Yeah, it just came up. Okay. All right. I love movies that start with radio. I don't know why. It's just kind of a Groundhog Day. Yeah, I know. Sweet. <laughs> okay, this is what's. I'll, I'm just. You know, I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of fan of movie locations. Oh yeah. So, a lot of this film was filmed in Chicago. But that house isn't right. But the house is not. It's filmed in in, in California. California. It's like. Long Beach or something, and I've been, actually been to that house. I do. It went. You had. I got a picture of it in front of. I got. I took a picture really quick. Uh, it's kind of like late in the evening or the day, kind of going into that. So. Yep. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention to folks who are watching with us. So yeah, we're talking during the movie, but um, what I typically do is I put the closed captioning on. And we're assuming that you've seen this movie already. We're going to be doing commentary of what we're watching and we'll be talking about the actors and behind the scenes stuff. So there's Jennifer Gray, who she was engaged to Matthew Broderick, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. She was engaged. Yeah. And then you saw there's a Simple Minds poster on the background of his room. Yeah. I loved his room. I loved his room and his wardrobe. I know I I get now just like uh, just just one of the guys had a great had a great room. Mm-hmm. This has got a really good room. This room. I think Weird Science had a great room. Yeah. But this room's my favorite. Pretty little Dream did not have a good no. guy or girl. Laney, Laney's or Laney's is horrible. I just dump. Yeah. But but at least there's not painter's tape holding up comic book papers. Yeah. <laughs> I love mom. I love how her she's great with him. She is. Cindy Pickett is just the best. <laughs> So I know you mentioned us on the Instagram account, but these two fell in love on the set. And hey, Garrett, if you need anything, it's two kids together. Yep. 
Unfortunately, they're not together anymore, but I they know, saw that. But they, they were did. very cordial. They were very cordial to one another at that Josh Gad reunited apart. That's good. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you have to be when you got children. They bought it. MTV. This promo. I remember this. Gosh, brings back memories. I, well, I didn't remember to use that in August because that's when the this big anniversary. Here, I love this. Like, so him talking to the camera uh, is something. So prior to this movie, Broderick had been starring on Broadway in a play called Biloxi Blues, where he addresses the cam, the the audience. Sorry, not the right camera, the audience. And so he was a master of it. Um, now I love this whole. I know you right here, Fisher Story, but I love this whole how his sound system and all the stuff oh, that he yeah. does. Thought that's as a teenager that this during this time frame, you love this stuff. But yeah, he was he was skeptical about doing this movie because of the fourth wall yeah. thing. But he's so good at it. Yeah. And I, th- that's why I love this sequence. It's like, you know, it's like a training lesson on how to skip, how to fake your parents and skip. You lick your palms. <laughs> Another thing, just listening to this song, Shoot It Up, it's got a great soundtrack too. And most John Hughes films do. He's he, you know, he's such a connoisseur of music. Oh, absolutely. I discovered a lot of artists because of John Hughes. Oh, yeah, he was he had a he had a pulse. They did. Yeah. Mark Ringwald talks about it. Uh, no, it, I, I my really call really. they just said that he introduced them to stuff, but like oh, yeah. but I, vice I versa, but but he was way ahead of the game about knowing what was especially what was in the UK and New yeah. wave, he knew all that stuff way yeah. ahead of time. Yeah, I, I think I like a in in you like a lot of kids from the eighties um, owe John Hughes a huge debt in our musical tastes because, like this song, I love this song. I used to have this song on tape. Oh, he and John Hughes was a huge Beatle fan. Beatles fan, huge, huge. Ben Stein, Christy Swanson. Christy Swanson, who was in Pretty in Pink, mm-hmm. was the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This that guy guy's in uh, Can't Buy Me, Can't Buy Me Love. Yeah, that dude cracks me up. His response, he's like, "Here, it's just he's sick." Yeah. I never not realized that was her who did that line. Thank you, Simone. <laughs> Fry. That's quite a house. Now that now the see now the difference here. That house is in Chicago. Yeah. Suburbs. Yep. That's just what we're talking about. Like, I don't know why they didn't yeah. film the house in Chicago. I don't know. Pick a house in Chicago and do it. I'll be right back. 
Well, Chris is gone. This is um, these two were in the movie or the play he just got through mentioning, Biloxi Blues. So they knew each other very well and how each other play off each other prior to doing this movie. So they're they had really good chemistry. Okay, we can see the ghost Shermer, which is also Shermer, supposed to be Shermer High School in the Breakfast Club, which is two different high schools, but <laughs> Two days. Truly a very sick boy. <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> so supposedly this was supposed to be done. He, he wasn't even going to be on screen. This is going to do his part off screen. You weren't even going to see him. But he did such a good job that kids made, kids laughed and that John Hughes decided to film it. <laughs> Ben Stein said he heard them applause. He thought that they, that, that they actually learned something about economics. <laughs> oh, he was also in um, Scott Shag um, Shag yeah. with Annabeth Gish. Mm -hmm. We haven't watched Shag sometime. I know some people from UNC Greensboro who were in that movie. 
something do do that's right voodoo economics <laughs> this guy goes through so many wardrobe changes in this movie it seems I just realized her earrings are airplanes. <laughs> Hi, Jeannie. Shut up. <laughs> oh, there's those tel- telephones in the. Oh, yeah. That's why you took that when we were at. Um, yeah. At New Hampshire High School. That's right. That's part of it. <laughs> I love that line. Freshman. <laughs> Give me somebody else. <laughs> How's your bod? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll be fine this weekend. Edie McClurg. Oh, she's great. Grace, love Grace. <laughs> Which, what? Well, with your back. <laughs> That's right. With your bad knee, head, you shouldn't throw anybody. She is, I love her. She is just so. <laughs> I mean, you know, my favorite part of my favorite, yeah. you know, her is plane trains and automobiles. Oh, yeah. But what I love about her in this movie. It's a righteous dude. She, hang on. <laughs> She's like his right hand person, but hang on. I just got to listen. It is. How for him? They think he's a righteous dude. There's a great moment right here. Yeah. (laughs) I love his expression. It's like, it's, it's kind of like, there's just a moment between them where it's like, you know, he appreciates her. He values her and she's good for him. Like she knows him and knows how to, but she's a little ditzy, but the scene that she has with Jeannie, when we get to it, I'll mention this something I just love about about Edie's performance. I think I'm a few seconds behind you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Rep a hot towel, Richard. <laughs> he's such a dad. Like he's just like he's trying to be. Love you, pal. You know it's, but it's like wrap a hot towel around your head and then have some soup. This is great. I love this. Alan Ruck is so funny in this scene. Is that an old Toyota? What is that? Datsun, maybe. It could be a Corolla. A I can't tell. It's like a. It's like a. Might be a Datsun. I can't tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell there. I love this. So he goes back inside, but then you see him appear in the back and through the rear window. <laughs> he like jumps up and <laughs> he's so funny in this movie. He really. So this guy right here. Um, he his name is Del Close, and he is was uh, a an, a teacher. He taught improvisation, and he worked with a lot of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live. Like mm. he wrote the book. He literally wrote the book on improvisation. Um, he was kind of an oddball character, but uh, a lot of the original Saturday Night Live players just like they have careers because of him because he taught them. Wow. He was also in uh, the blob, the uh, remake of the blob in the eighties. He played the town pastor, the town minister. He didn't do a lot of movie roles or TV things, but he was apparently really good <laughs> at, at teaching. The lovely Mia Sarah. Again? No. <laughs> Poor little man. Grace is so sweet. I do see her. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? I tell you though, Rooney's smart. He's no dummy. I mean, he is a dummy, but he's you know, he's good at what he does. His job.
It's a She's like, ooh, okay. She reminds me of the secretary from uh, Elf. Like, ooh, yeah. okay. Hook her up, Buttercup. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the music and just the close up. It's just like. He doesn't even wait for a response. He doesn't. Have, have a nice day. Nice day. Well, I should say you do. Ah, uh, my French. Bueller. There's Bueller. He's doing a pretty good job for somebody who's like wound up. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Calm She's down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, <laughs> <laughs> 
You didn't like that. Yeah, and you freaked. This is funny. Slow, fast. Now, I read somewhere that they used, and up until now, I didn't really know if I blew it or not. So, just that hallway scene that they actually used the interior of the, the Breakfast Club's sky. It's supposed to be Sherman High School. Yeah. We know that this school. From the exterior that we when he pulls up, it's the same high school that John Hughes actually went to. Right. I forgot the name of it, but it's not totally fresh in my brain right at the second. But but the, the school for use for breakfast club is a different school. Mm-hmm. But they said that they I read I read that they used for the interior, used that school. But the exterior for north, whatever it's called, north. Something other. Yeah. Good old yellow. Oh yeah. Oh, oh that's that yeah. The moon is beautiful. Chicka chicka. Boom, boom, boom. That's right, more beautiful. I had I had this. Um you couldn't find this this single, and it wasn't on the soundtrack. Um, a friend of mine in high school had had family up north, and they were able to get the single for it um, up in New York. And they he got a copy, and he made a copy for me. That's cool. Yeah, '80s on eight on Sirius XM. Sometimes they'll play this. You don't have that app here. Thank you, Apple Watch. No, obviously this is not, they, they did not use a real, this. No. I think it was, th- I think it was valued at $300,000 at the time. They used, yeah. he had three replicas made, I think for like $25,000 each. So he came, he got in. Yeah. Because I thought the same. When I watch this movie, you, I mean, you think it's the real car. I mean, and it goes oh, yeah. out back and you go. I don't know what kind of trickery they use in movies, but a lot of times that, you know, they may only show part of something and then whatever. But that you see that car go out the back of that the back. <laughs> Nervous. 
two actually. <laughs> it's still in there. Anyone? Anyone? I believe he's quoting from Job. I think that's from Job. Oh, that old Volkswagen Rabbit. Did you see that car? No, I, did. I missed that. I had a girlfriend in college who had one like that. It was a silver one. It's great. <laughs> She's just like, yeah, whatever. I guess that's my dad. Yes, that's my dad. Glen, uh, yeah, Glenbrook North High School. This is this mm-hmm. school. Have you been? You haven't been to this location. No, I've not. I've not been. This is actually John Hayes, where he went to high school. Do you have a kiss for daddy? <laughs> I love his reaction. He's like, Hey, she's wearing the same. She's wearing the same jacket that 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 crazy Joel wears in Dream a Little Dream, except hers is not purple. That's true. <laughs> that fringe. I want to get a hat like that. I've got the sunglasses like that. I just need facts. Uh, I can. Uh, no, it's okay. Chris, even though we don't do the video. There we go. Forget the the artist or the band that does this song, but I had this one too. Yeah, there's like a recurring thing with John Hughes and license plates on cars. Like they always have abbreviations for something. Oh, yeah. Good old Chicago. I've only been to Chicago once and it was, it was before Lauren and I were married. We went, she has family up in, up around Chicago. And uh, we were there right between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And um, I loved it. I thought, I mean, I know they got a lot of issues these days, but um, where we went, it was just like, it's a great visit. You know, I just thought about something about, um, you know, Raw Deal just came out, 35th anniversary. This is mm-hmm. coming out just in a couple of days from when this podcast will be released. Yeah. It's 35th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of Raw Deal was filmed in Chicago. I wonder if the, if the, film ever over, if the filming ever overlapped. I know that different was- movie companies and all that kind of stuff, but still, it's like they filmed in Chicago. It's like yeah. two different movies, you know. Look at that old school can. 
flat top can. Heartless witch. Heartless wench. Like Ferris is always one step ahead. <laughs> Her grandmother, too. You know, it is. I got to say, Ferris is pretty ingenious how he crafted all this stuff. And he thought he left no stone unturned. No Cobra answering machines. I had a Cobra phone, Cobra phone slash alarm clock radio. And I think the first answering machine I had was a Cobra. It's a beautiful looking car. That it is. Ferris's jacket. Man, I wanted a jacket like that so bad. And you know, the thing is, maybe I might be wrong here. So so do a sanity check for me. A lot of what they wear in this movie. I think they could wear today and it would not seem out of place. You know, what do you think? Well, jerseys are huge. So that's in one of the Gordy Howie. Yeah. Whatever. How, how, whatever. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, so far, yes, I'm, I'm with you. And I don't think, there's enough retro stuff. Now, I know that we haven't talked about this, but Anthony Michael Hall was John Hughes' first choice. Yeah. I think that's who this was written that Ferris I, was written for. I love Anthony Michael Hall, but I just can't see him as Ferris. I know we talked about that before, and I just, I, I just, I, 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 know can't, part of I can see him. He, he could definitely do it, uh, but I'm with you. So he's I such, think, Ferris Bueller, such as I just don't think there's something, Broderick just. Balance. Well, I mean, that's the line. Yeah. He's fair. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. He's he's the best choice. I still think Anthony Michael could pull it off. The, but my question I was going to say is, <laughs> I love this cut to take yeah. off. The guy that jumped in the car with him, that actor passed away 
um, not too long ago, I don't think. But I kind of wanted to know who – I wonder who the cast was for Cameron. Like, who who was their first – and I don't know if I – I don't remember if I've read that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because I don't think Alan Ruck would have – I don't think they would have – I can't see him and Anthony Michael Hall. Maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, I think it's just – I'm having such a hard time visualizing anybody else playing the role. It's just – as much oh, yeah. as I love Anthony Michael Hall, I just, I'm like, I mean, I think he would have been, I think he would have done a great job because I think he's a great actor. And I think it would have been a nice change of pace from what he had done before, you know, where he played a nerd and he played, you know, when he played yeah, a nerd he in the was- last two films, like, this is a chance where it's like, you're not a nerd in this film, you know, but. Now, I you know, who, who works well to, I mean, like Matthew Broderick and Alan Rudd's got great. Well, you Alan know, they, they got were in blues together. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have great chemistry, but so does, but you know, who would be good. And I mean, I guess who could, who could play it. He wouldn't play it. It's probably is Robert Downey Jr. Um, as Ferris. No, as, as, Cameron. Well, I mean, he, you know, they they were in Johnny Be Good together. So exactly. yeah, I they, mean, that's not a great movie, but it's not. But yeah. they're but they're but you can tell those guys. I mean, they really like each other. I mean, it, obviously, since Anthony Michael Hall is the godson of his. Yeah. Of, uh, you mean the Godfather? The Godfather. Yeah, the Godfather of of his son. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, those guys really. It sounds like my kids. Those guys over there on the right, what are, are they what Shriners or something? What is with those hats? <laughs> She's rocking those boots. the novelization of the movie there's a longer sequence in this part here at the stock exchange where ferris yells out something and it causes the stock market to like fluctuate or something i forget what exactly he says but it causes the uh, the guys on the floor to panic or something Shay Louise getting ready to, yeah, this dude like sizing her up. I'd be like, dude, watch what you're looking at. 
Abe Froman, Sausage King of Chicago. This, this actor that plays the maitre d', he was on a sitcom in the 80s with um, uh, the Seagal twins. Um, I think it was called Double Trouble. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you remember that sitcom? Yeah, I'm, yeah, that's what I'm... Yeah, Those Seagal twins. I'm telling you what, I had the biggest crush on them. They were beautiful, both of them. But yeah, he played like well, the kooky neighbor or something like that. Him and another guy. They were pretty funny. Get snooty. Snotty. Snotty. I got like that. There was also some dialogue in the novelization that was cut out of the movie where they start looking at the menu and they see the prices. Um, And I think in the novelization, there's a part where Ferris, he gets out like the savings bonds his grandparents had given him and he cashes them. So they have money to afford lunch. Ah, okay. That makes sense. So 
Dirty Dancing came out in what, 88? Or 87? Next, yeah, 87. After this. <laughs> so, yeah, that guy, the other guy was named. Um, James Bailey and they were a comedy duo. Yeah. The Major D. Jonathan Schmuck. The Funny Boys is what they were called. Yeah. And yeah, I remember that show. I watched that too. Yeah, the Seagal twins. Their their sister is um Katie Seagal. No, I did not did not know that trivia. Yep, she's their older sister. I think older. Yeah. But yeah, I love the Seagal twins. I just thought they were so pretty and funny. They were, they're genuinely funny. I love it. They just miss his dad. Yeah, just missed him. Yep. This right here. Who's bothering you now? Who's bothering you now? I love this little comment here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I think that that restaurant, I think the exterior was in Chicago. The interior was in California, in a restaurant in California. (laughs) This is definitely Chicago. I recognize that architecture. Oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> it's Joyce Heiser. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
playing a little karate champ over there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and the little the video arcade Pac-Man. That was perfect. What are Pepsi's a product a product placement? Because I just saw we saw the Pepsi can and the taking money. There is <laughs> catching the ball. So I was reading today that fans, Cubs fans, figured out that the game that they were at was, I think, the June second game in 1985. Well, this is what's wild. It's like, hold on. So, okay, yeah, this game, the the real game is June June fifth on the on the day that he's his day off. But it was, but it was the year before. Game, but the game they filmed oh. was they filmed at was in September of like of oh. any, if. Say follow that. Say Ferris is on the Wrigley Field. Would be in gym. <laughs> I hated Jim. Little aviator, not yeah. aviator. What are they? Are they aviator sunglasses? Oh, with this little. Are there no, not aviator? There. There's a name for him. I can't remember. Wow, he drove all the way from Illinois to California. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Yeah, his license plate. I can't make out what it says, but I think there was. He's singing Doc of Shame. Thank <laughs> you. 
Heaven is yeah, that's right. Yeah. Heaven is still. And the music, this reminds so much of like what they did in vacation. Like in Yeah. The antics are very similar. I mean the things he gets himself stuck into the what something Clark would do would. And what's wild is that John Hughes never directed one of those vacation movies, which is kind of sad in one way, hence. You know. I know. I'm surprised he didn't. Like, I'm I'm surprised he didn't direct the Christmas one. Because I think he. I mean, it. I mean, the film turned out great, but I think him doing it, it would have been. <laughs> he ripped his pants. It's just like it's one. One thing after another. Yep, exactly. Uh, which is I remember when I saw this in the theater, this got a huge laugh. <laughs> do, 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 do. Tear it up. What's what's the two newest guys in the Star Wars name? What's it? Poe and who? Poe and uh, Finn. Finn. That's what that could be. I'm going to t- those things you see on the memes. I'm going to tell my kids that was Poe and Finn or whatever. That was the original Poe and Finn or something like that. Yeah. All his pants are split in the back. Yeah, you didn't see that before? Yeah, he started splitting when he was washing his shoe off. Yeah, it's like, this is so funny. That dog, like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it was and the drool. It's just. Yeah. Like, It's one thing I regret I didn't do when I was in Chicago with Lauren is that we didn't go to the art museum. Um, There's one of the art pieces of art that uh, Cameron looks at. It's a very famous painting um, by uh, George Soro. Yeah, it's definitely on my list, man, of places to go. Yeah. Well, if we're able to go, I definitely want to go here.
It's a Jackson Pollock painting. And it's Picasso. And John Hughes was like, I just, you got to do some of these scenes here. It's just hilarious. This yeah. is great. This is the pain of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that shot of them in front of the stained glass. It's just like a. So this painting, the reason why it's considered a masterpiece is um, Soro, the artist, it's actually a bunch of little dots. Like he painted all these little dots. So as you get up close is what Cameron is. He looks at it. It's just a bunch of dots. But when you step back from it, it, it looks like this it's an art technique called, I think, pointillism. Yeah. So uh, John Hughes was, a, you know, he was very much into, I mean, obviously very artistic sense, you know, writing music, but he, he loved music and, but he loved to paint. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, um, he drew, he, he painted some stuff and he didn't think it was that good. I think it was much better than what probably he gave himself credit for. There was something in the book I read about this, but oh, I can't remember now. It's been a while since I read it, but he painted like a mural inside the basement of where his house was in Chicago. And I think that got painted over. Yeah. I mean, and I think some stuff that he painted actually got threw out. I mean, his, his parents threw it out or something, or he threw it out. He thought it was bad or something, but, you know, I would have been really cool. We could have. Yeah. Yeah. The thing where he says we ate pancreas, that was something that was cut from the, the restaurant scene. They just, they're like, they order off the menu and they don't realize that it's pancreas. He's like, did I not just see my son? At its foot. And like, he doesn't know. He doesn't know his son's girlfriend. <laughs> Community rallies around sick youth. No, you know, we've, you know, we, we've heard the, how long John Hughes, you know, he, ton, he filmed tons of stuff, mm -hmm. footage, and then had the task of having to edit. Yeah. And it hurts, you know, we've heard that about Breakfast Club and. Planes, Trains, and Automobile. Planes, Trains, and Automobile, especially. 16 Candles, even some of that. But this is one movie I, I know, I never heard the stories about. If he did, or he, I'm sure he did, but he did yeah. There, there's um, there's quite a, a few scenes that were like we talked about the younger kids 
the siblings. There was also, and just what I know from the novelization, there were quite a few things cut. Oh, this is one of my favorite. So somewhere, I think Jennifer Gray is here dressed in incognito. She wanted to be there. I don't know where exactly, but yeah. she's there. That's cool. In the, I wonder where. Yeah. She's in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice moment between them, I feel like. It's just very <laughs> honest. It's going to twist and shout. How cool would it have been to be able to be there when they were filming this? Yeah, I know. Yes. Yeah, if the DeLorean was ever a real thing, like, where do you want to go? Um, Chicago, 1985, for wherever they shot this. When I saw this in the movie theaters, when it originally came out, I had, a, I was with a really fun audience. Like they were just, they, they were into this movie. Everybody was into this movie, this move, this sequence. Like, I think there were some people that actually got up and danced during it. They just got caught up in the music. It is, it's just, yeah, it's just. There's Jennifer Craig. <laughs> never, never know. <laughs> I love the way this sequence is edited. It's just. Is that joy? Yeah, I forgot about it. Yeah. There's the family photo over there. <laughs> He's...
Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. Shake it, shake it. It had to be fun to film, though. I mean, it really did. Had, you had, yeah. I mean, that's. I want to say I listened to an interview with Paul McCartney. It's in the past year or so. And he mentioned this movie and he actually was like very said, very kind, warm things about it that he loved that they used the song. I mean, of course they had to get approval from him and the rest of the surviving Beatles, but uh, he was very happy with the way it turned out. (laughs) Louis Anderson, comedian. Oh, oh yeah. They trying to poison that dog. Coming to America, my friend. Yep. He's still he, he's still working for McDougal's. Oh yeah, the okay, the yeah. Okay, so the tower is in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, her Fierro. Yep. Reminds me of Ashley Lane. He actually had a mm-hmm. black Fierro. A couple of people who had, had Fierros. Yeah, it was a popular car in the 80s. I knew it. So Rooney was already on shaky ground, but he's definitely crossing the line here. Yeah, he's letting this. Awesome wallpapered walls, very 80s. Oh, it's yeah, very that's very much a fashion decorating, 80s decorating. Yellow in the kitchen, my, my parents have that. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, I got to check to see. I don't think it is.
Okay, so there is no fire hydrant in front of that house. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, we yeah. probably figured that was the case, but just let but it look like it was. It didn't look like it was right in front of the house. It looked like it was down from it. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just, but I'm going, yeah, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at street view. I'm going down. There's no, there's no fire hydrant. It's way, okay, there's, there is one. It's way down and it's not far. It's not the one that's, it's too far away. I'm like, he's like six tickets. Yeah, who does that? This happened pretty quickly, like six tickets, and now it's getting towed. <laughs> they're towing laws. Uh, yeah, they're no mercy. And Shermer is very, yeah, they're very serious about their. Don't, don't park in front of a fire hydrant. We'll tow you in five minutes. <laughs> so many plants in the kitchen. Too late. There he goes, his keys. This scene, yeah, he like, looks down at the odometers. I love how he starts doing math with his fingers. He's like, There's Louie again. (laughs) 
I want to do. I want to do this scene right here. I want to lay down on this ledge. Give the. Katana, whatever the word is, I'm looking for. She's like very attentive to Cameron. She's like stroking his face, trying to. Yeah, she's very. For being, like you said, about being cool and probably one of the most. I guess, like you said, elegant is a good word. I mean, it's just classy. Classy, yeah. It's like, but like, just, you know, very sweet demeanor yeah, to her. Like, she's very caring towards. I mean, you know, she knows that this is Ferris's best friend, and right, she's genuinely worried about him. Like, she's trying to like. Now, am I right on this one? She was like much younger than the rest of the cast. Yeah. She was like. She was like, uh, I read it somewhere. Um, was she 19? Yeah. Well, okay. It must be because there's Pepsi can again. So it must yeah. be Pepsi. Yeah. Product placement again. like Kind of like Brawny with Raw Deal. and Yeah. Pepsi. Yep. I got Oreos. Yep. Leopard print boxers goes along with his vest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to remember I I don't know if it was in the novelization or maybe I'm just remembering something else but like I think Sloan gives tries to give him mouth to mouth resuscitation because they're like he really like and she's like, he's okay. She's like, how, and Ferris like, how do you know? She says, because he just slipped me the tongue. <laughs> that's when he looks at it and he's like, Ferris Bueller, you're my hero. Yeah. Charlie Sheen. 
So supposedly, Charlie Sheen stayed up for 48 hours to, yeah. to achieve this look. Yep. He was mm-hmm. not actually on drugs, which on we know drugs. he has a serious drug problem later in life. Yeah. For, you know, but not here. I'm not saying not ever, just not this. But he recreates the same for the Goldbergs. Have you, have you watched that? I haven't seen that episode. Oh, that's hilarious, dude. He comes out. He glances down. Just the master <laughs> of like just little things. Like which earlier when she said you put your thumb up your butt, he kind of like had his hand where he's like kind of looked at his thumb like it's almost like pre it's like it's what's to come and two and a half men. Yeah. He was brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, he's very good. He's got a gift for comedy, definitely. Yes. Even before that, like with hot shots and oh my gosh, yeah, that was and then when he took over on Spin City, he was funny. I mean, oh, that's all with, yeah, that's what got him on. That's what, yeah, that's what led to Two and a Half Men. Right. Hey, though, he would have been a great lost boy, though. Yeah. (laughs) Look right there. Yep. I mean, he could have wrecked habit with Kiefer. Oh, you know him? I mean, that house is expensive when you got two benches sitting outside the garage. I know this is common knowledge. This is not something I'm going to share that's going to be earth shattering to people, but this was filmed like in the, I guess, in the fall time, the September, October. And the leaves were already starting to turn. So they had to go out there and spray paint, paint leaves yeah. green and add. And I think they had to go and add some shrubbery or whatever to make it to. So whatever leaves that were on the trees had to paint green. And then they had to actually add some stuff to give it more of a green background. So think about that. <laughs> Hey, I need you to go out there and spray. Which is funny because they just had to do the same thing for Dirty Dancing uh, as well for a couple of the scenes where they were outside doing some shots. They had to.
you think they would have like when he started doing it, you think you would have looked to make sure that it was actually that the miles were coming off or going backwards or whatever. Yeah. So I think his 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 performance just doesn't get praise enough. Wow. Yeah. I don't even think about this about Spin City, dude. About Charlie Sheen and him being. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Somebody did a uh, recreation of Cameron's house and the busted up Ferrari at the bottom in Lego. It was pretty impressive. <laughs> that <laughs> what did I do?
You still see a few leaves out there that are not. It started to change, yep. Yeah, you can't get everything. Leaves but, down there, yep. But wow. Now that's a now there's some redeemable qualities of Ferris. Because I think he actually means he would take the heat. What do you think? No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, you're uh, you lie like a cheap rug, it's not gonna be fine. Cameron was never seen alive again. Poor kid. Alan Ruck, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, like she's so oblivious. Yeah, tell me the guess. Oh, right. She's much. She's much in a better mood now. It's baby. It's baby. Oh, uh, Eleanor. I mean, they call me Shana. Shana.
Okay, he's lying through his teeth too. Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I had it all planned out. <laughs> it's a great sequence coming up. You know, she's oh, she's 53 years old. She's not very, I mean. Did Jennifer Gray? No, to my, me, oh, us. Yeah, Sarah, yeah. Yeah. Charlie Sheen's 55. It's on. Okay, Jennifer Gray, 61. Wow. Yeah. So talk about being. Well, she, last time I saw her, she looks fantastic. Oh, she's still, oh, yeah. Don't, don't, I mean, yeah, don't, let's don't let that. I love you. That's uh, um, that Josh Gad thing. Um, yeah, she looked great in it. So, oh, so Matthew Broderick's fifty nine. So she he was two years younger than. Now, now the the girls laying out at. Is he still married to Sarah Jessica Parker? Yes. There, I saw a picture on Instagram where she went like a maybe like a ninety to some premiere or something with Robert Downey Jr. So I mean, you're talking about. I mean, it's. Again, there's there's the John Hughes connection, all the stuff. It's, I mean, I don't know if they ever dated seriously, or they just went they just went together, kind of deal. <laughs> his face <laughs> he's like this is the second time today I feel like I've seen my son what what <laughs> 
<laughs> she, she killed it. She killed our two youngest kids. Shoot her just like we shot the other two kids. Sure. Oh, <laughs> right. from the map. All the flowers and balloon. Do you notice the uh, the varsity jacket had the S? No, I didn't. I did not notice that the varsity jacket had an S on it. Ball from the game. Yep. Great throw. Paris, it is June. 
And then just like a switch, it's like they bought it. Great words of wisdom. Yes. The philosopher Ferris Bueller. Thank you, John Hees, for that. John Hees also invented the uh, credits scene. Not an outtake, but an actual scene in the end, in the end credits. As well as a scene after the credits. Oh, yeah. Wait, you're still here? Mr. Rooney. Did you get in a fight? <laughs> I'm so this scene is just odd that that Hughes would put this scene during the credits. It's like, yeah, it's just a nice, it's a nice um, way to end the film. Like you just see Rooney getting his comeuppance. Yeah, I'm gonna make a bad to the feature reference here. As the as I saw, I was just. Credits I saw uh, Paramount Pictures that made me think of Ned Ned Tannen, which is yeah. where we get Biff Tannen. Yep. Biff, yeah. And how great Ned was to like John Hughes. Yeah. Gave him a chance and let him direct and yeah, absolutely. He just gave him one idea about what he had for this. He says, "I got his idea about high school kid is going to skip school. It's going to." Play hooky, and Ned t- and Ned said, "Go with it." Of course, he already, you know, he already had sixteen candles and yeah, uh, Breakfast Club under his belt. Or so his- many great touches in this scene. Just the ki- the kids, like the yep. way the way the bus looks. I mean, it's just like this girl cracks me up. Those glasses. Those things are like magnifying glasses. Good Lord. Good. The things are like a half inch thick. (laughs) (laughs) Rooney eats it. 
say Ferris. Ferris. And then he just looks at the camera. <laughs> That's it. Now it'd be cool if guest bus 720. It'd be cool if that was the same bus number as what 16 Candles bus. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Encrypting. Oh. <laughs> Ferris Bueller's day off just as good as the first time yes One of the features of Ferris Bueller's Day Off is Ferris addressing the audience at several points in the story, breaking the fourth wall, as they call it. This was something Matthew Broderick was quite good at, having honed his skill in addressing audiences in his theatrical performances in Neil Simon's semi-autobiographical plays Brighton Beach Memoirs and Biloxi Blues. It's in Biloxi Blues that Broderick first starred with the actor who would later play the role of Cameron Fry, Alan Ruck. Cameron's impersonation of Mr. Peterson in the movie is a bit of an in-joke for the two actors. It's based on the voice of Biloxi Blues director Gene Sachs. Ruck said about his friendship with Broderick, We didn't have to invent an instant friendship like you often have to do in movies. We were friends. Thanks for joining us for this 35th anniversary celebration of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. For more information about the movies we watch and to find out more about upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram at the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, please like us and follow us on your podcast service of choice. Support for the Midnight Movie Snack Podcast comes from monthly donations made by listeners like you. Help us continue to make episodes about the movies we all love by supporting us today. You'll find the link in the episode's show notes. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>